Hi, welcome to Adulthood Pending Podcast. I'm Kimmy. I'm Brittany. And I'm Annalise. We are a podcast for college students, recent graduates, or anyone else who's figuring out that being an adult isn't as simple as it's made out to be. Join us each episode as we share how we are navigating our careers, post-grad lives, and the whole adulting experience. Before we start, we just want to give a trigger warning. In this episode, we briefly mentioned the Me Too movement and sexual assault cases that have taken place over the past four years. We just wanted to give our listeners a heads up, and we've also listed the timestamps for when we briefly mentioned these issues in our episode description. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about feminism. We touch on how our views of feminism have changed, how feminism is viewed internationally, and our personal applications of feminism um, in our postgrad lives. So today we have a very special guest on this episode. We have our friend Rom. So Rom, if you'd like to kind of introduce yourself and give a background of where you are in your adulthood journey. Okay. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Um, where am I on my adulthood journey? It's a really interesting question. Um, so I am, I guess I'm like somewhere there. I depends on how you define adulthood, obviously. I did my undergraduate at Scripps College and after graduation, I did my master's at the London School of Economics, um, mm-hmm. which I'm still technically completing because I deferred my thesis, but I'm also working right now. So, wow. So I'm working right now, um, as a consultant for an international development firm and it's a really small team, but it's going quite well. So yeah, I'm still figuring things out, but I think I feel more adult than I did four years ago or five years ago. Mm. You're the most educated one here. <laughs> Completing your master's oh. working. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Not at all. <laughs> but thank you. And Ram, you've actually been studying feminism and gender norms within an academic context. So would you like to kind of give a brief summary of what your thesis has been on? Definitely. Um, so gender and development is something I'm really passionate about. And my thesis looks at gender norms and how they can be reshaped through education in developing countries. Mm. Yeah, Ram actually also went to school with us. And so we thought it'd be interesting to bring her on since we've all kind of had somewhat of the same foundation of education of you know, when we were indoctrinated by the <laughs> values of our college. Um, but she does have a very different perspective. So we're excited to have you on, Rom. So for today's fun question, we are going to be discussing our motivations for choosing to attend a historically women's college. So as our guest, Rom, would you like to start us off? Sure. So I actually did not go to scripts or choose to go to Scripps because of the fact that it was a historically women's college. And really, it never struck me initially about the fact that it was a historically women's college. But as I did more research and I realized that my entire life, I had never really had a support system of just women. So mm-hmm. it was really fascinating for me at Scripps where that's an inst- it's an institution that it takes pride in the fact that um, it's a school that upholds these values and it's a school specifically 
for historically women and and now all underrepresented gender identities. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, long story short, it was kind of an accident of fate, but (laughs) um, it was it was definitely something that came on my radar much later. Similar to Rom, like I thought that it would be really interesting to attend a historically women's college. But that being said, like Scripps was the only all women's college, historically women's college that I ended up applying to. Um, Mm. And I think a large part of that has to do because of the locations of being in California Mm. and then it being within the Claremont Consortium. But like when people ask me, you know, why are you applying to this school? I definitely just was like, it would be so cool to attend a school that is, wait, (laughs) which is a historically woman college because growing up, I went to public school. So my schools were always co-ed. So I was like, you know what, just might might as well just try this and see how it goes. Mm. I actually applied to a couple other women's colleges Mm. um, in addition to Scripps. And Mm. I think it's because my senior year, there was a someone from admissions from one of the schools came and like spoke specifically about women's colleges so interesting. and just kind of like gave um a little session about like why you know people should at least consider women's colleges if they wanted to mm-hmm. and so that kind of like resonated with me and so I started looking around and some representatives from Claremont colleges came to my school as well so I think mm-hmm. it was like Pitzer and CMC maybe came um and so then I got a sense of the climate colleges and that the whole way that the consortium works was really intriguing to me. So I think it was a combination of having that info session on women's college and talking to someone from Claremont that drew me to Scripps. Mm-hmm. I don't want to reiterate everything you all just said because I feel like I felt very similar in that Scripps was not the sole driving factor of why I chose to attend it. Um, I think it was like Kimmy a location thing as well and it was something I never really um, would consider I think in my education like I don't think being around primarily females would have enhanced the experience so much Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. the fact that I liked um, the ideals that they have in the curriculum that um, Scripps was or that scripts had designed so yeah it, it's funny because like I feel like when people ask me like oh you go to scripts is that like the an all-women's college I'm like yeah it is but like I kind of just like blow it off because it really didn't mm. feel like one for a lot of the time since our all of our classes or pretty much almost all of our classes were integrated with um mm-hmm. all genders so yeah I don't know that's some it's weird because I feel like a lot of the sentiment is the same where it is a women's college, but it's not like the hallmark of what my education was marked by by going to that school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The fact that it is a historically women's college and what you said, Brit, about it being treated as a hallmark is really interesting to me because it's ne- I never asked any of my CMC or Pomona friends why they chose to go to a co-ed school. But yes. for mm-hmm. some reason, mm-hmm. I feel like I and many people... I know who went to Scripps were always asked, well, why did you choose to go to an Mm -hmm. all women's college or historically Mm -hmm. women's college? But that question is never asked of our co-ed counterparts. And Mm. it's it's just a point that I think is quite interesting. And I don't know if it's something to be (laughs) reflected upon, but 
maybe the I guess the the uniqueness I don't know what it is about the fact that it's a historically women's college that people feel like there needs to be an active choice do you all feel like you ever felt like there is some kind of negative connotation when people ask why you chose to go to a women's college like for me and I think a lot of especially within the Claremont consortium like going to Scripps is not admired as much as maybe going to some of the other schools Mm -hmm. and with the sole fact of that being oh you go to women's college the admissions should be easier because only one Hmm. because half you know of the population or roughly is even allowed to apply so I was wondering if you kind of felt like there was some negativity with attending a women's college I think I actually never thought about it that way where it's um like you're you're application pool is only limited to like I guess a certain amount of a certain percentage of the population just because of gender mm-hmm. but to your point about how I felt when people asked me that question it definitely I felt like I would sense like a tone of maybe judgment maybe mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. necessarily something positive or negative but definitely just like judgment like oh interesting like why would you choose a woman's college or mm-hmm. historically women's college why do you think that it was I think there's just like a lot of there's a very stereotypical view of people who attend women's colleges. Mm. You know, it's like they have a certain image of like the radical feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think then that's what they think of when they think of students of a historically women's college. And so then they, I guess, try to like gauge that out of me or something. Mm-hmm. Something that I got a lot or many of my male identifying friends at the other schools in the Claremont Consortium would refer to scripts as having easy classes and Mm -hmm. they would always say they would always say things like oh like but it's not like scripts classes are tough or scripts professors are academically challenging and it's so it was always so interesting to me the way that it was deeply internalized that just because it's a historically women's college the education quality is somehow inferior to that of Mm. the surrounding Mm. colleges when Mm. in fact some of the departments at Scripps are really really strong Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. sometimes people would do much worse in Scripps classes than they would do at another class at another college but but that type of judgment is something that I was really really familiar with and something that mm. bothered me of course because mm. I was always like well you know why don't we talk about why you perceive this like the way you do mm-hmm. so earlier Ra mentioned how if you attend a co-ed school you know no one asks you why did you attend this co-ed school so it's interesting that in attending a historically women's college it's like inherently making a political statement and kind Mm. of what you might identify with like politically um so I was wondering how your ideas of feminism changed after college because it seems like going into college we kind of just chose it um maybe like haphazardly but Mm. obviously it has shaped some of our views yeah before we get into that though I do want to maybe define feminism Mm -hmm. um or at least come to some common ground on like what we define or how we view feminism as before moving further into today's episode yeah so 
when I was the first year, um, as many first years have to do, like one of my papers we had to write about feminism, or I think I did research on my own. Um, And I beforehand had never actually researched this or like knew what the definition was. I just thought it was like, you know, having ideals that will then like support women. But the Mm. definition I remember is like having equality across Mm -hmm. all platforms for all genders. So something Mm. that I wrote about was like feminism isn't just for female identifying people. It's really for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's like a common misconception is that feminism is only for female identifying folks. And it's people also have this misconception that if you are a feminist, you believe that women are better than men. And Mm -hmm. that's not true. The whole idea of feminism is that everyone should be equal. And that includes like female identifying, male identifying, includes people in the LGBTQ, it includes people in the LGBTQ plus community. And I think that that's something that just a lot of people misunderstand. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, Kimmy, how my understanding of feminism has changed over time, which I think is somewhat tied into the misunderstandings as well, is, so for some context, I think I started to actively identify as feminist when I was in high school. And Mm -hmm. I went to high school in India. Mm -hmm. And at the time, the trigger warning, sexual assault cases were very, uh, really rampant. And Mm -hmm. as a high schooler, it was something I was very passionate about. So Mm -hmm. I think that kind of began to inform my understanding of feminism. And I did understand it with some more nuance than perhaps my peers at Scripps in my first semester did. But definitely one thing that I think Scripps gave me was the vocabulary to articulate Mm. what I was thinking or feeling. And Mm -hmm, specifically um, the FGSS, which stands for Feminist Gender and Sexuality Studies class that I took, was about intersectional feminism. And Mm. so understanding the cross-cutting linkages across gender, sexuality, and striving for equality for all is something that I learned to articulate through scripts. Mm -hmm. And certainly the way it is misunderstood is that people primarily view it as elevating women to the same level as men mm-hmm. compared to human human rights for all, if, if yeah. I might say, which is why mm-hmm. many people who do not identify as feminist prefer to go by the term humanist. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so that is, I think that is one of the many misunder- misconceptions. But another one is also, of course, that that in women's efforts to strive for equality, or not just women, but all of the uh, historically underrepresented or marginalized communities, that will somehow oppress cisgender men. Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, another uh, misconception about feminism. So I don't know if this was the same for you. I mean, for Ram, it seems like it was a little different different because you thought of yourself as a feminist in high school. So I don't know if it was just my high school or like my environment, but I feel like back then, so like four or five years ago, when people thought of feminism, they did have the wrong idea of it. But then Mm. more recently, once again, I don't know if this is after attending a woman's college, I feel like now being a feminist is cool. 
And like this is even mm-hmm. seen in like you'll go into Forever Twenty One and they'll have like a feminist shirt, you know. <laughs> Where I feel like four years ago that would have been seen as being too political. So I wonder mm-hmm. like how current events have really helped shape the feminist movement. For example, like the Me Too movement, how that really was able to like motivate people who weren't necessarily feminist before to then label themselves as one. So it's quite interesting, Kimmy, that you bring up the branding of feminism on Mm -hmm. material goods and the idea that feminism is now seen as cool. Mm. I know we might get into this a little bit later, but I think that is very context specific because I do think that feminism being seen as cool is very much a Eurocentric ideal Mm -hmm. or a Eurocentric manifestation, maybe. Mm -hmm. And in terms of how current events shape or motivate people to be open and vocal, I think it is very much a ripple effect or a domino effect because people feel supported and they feel confident when they see other people being able to say what they are too too feeling but i think that current events and especially the way that people also receive um these movements or mm-hmm. i don't know i think this is referred to as the fourth wave of feminism but i'm not entirely sure yeah. <laughs> but for instance in a place like the us where women's marches can occur without any significant repercussions or significant consequences Mm. it definitely emboldens women men people of all backgrounds identities to be vocal and to speak up Mm -hmm. but i think that is again very context specific and it is very Mm. much driven by both the person and it's very subjective and it's also driven by the environment in which they're in and whether that enables them to be as vocal as they are So for instance, Mm -hmm. like a Forever 21 or a Bershka or an H&M branding feminist or I am feminist or like feminism is rad. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, they may do that in the US and they may do do that in the UK or France, Germany. But will you see that in a country in South Asia? Perhaps not. Or Mm -hmm. will you see somebody walking around wearing that shirt? Perhaps not. Mm -hmm. I also think it has something to do with a bubble of how people socialize, if that makes sense. So Mm. for instance, like the liberal arts college bubbles, right? Like many people kind of form the same ideas and opinions when they attend a liberal arts college and when they also graduate from a liberal arts college. And I definitely Mm. think that continues and that is perpetuated and definitely informs the discussions that people have on their daily, in their daily lives. Mm-hmm. and maybe the clothes they buy yeah. and what they events they attend and things like that. Yeah, I definitely agree that give especially given today's political climate in the states, we do see what I guess some people are describing as like the fourth wave of feminism. Something else as well is that because there is so much there's this idea that being a feminist is cool like you said Kimmy, it it is also potentially dangerous too because at this point, I feel like a lot of people, they're like, oh, I'm a feminist, but they don't really do anything mm-hmm. about it except just make that um, proclamation. It's very yeah. performative. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like there's this idea of or no, not this idea. Something that I've heard a lot of as well is like white feminism and mm-hmm. 
I think that that's something that we need to be really mindful of is there are a lot of people um, who will say that they're a feminist or like an ally or something. But then the second you like challenge them or question them, they get really defensive and they, they're only a feminist at their convenience. And mm-hmm. it's not so much about like seeing how they then becomes really evident in their actions and their words that they're only a feminist in a way that benefits them and people like them rather than people of all different backgrounds. And again, I think it goes to the point of like the idea that people, some people perceive feminism as being cool. So they're like, oh, I'm definitely a feminist. Like you can count on me. Like I'm an ally and everything. But then when, when it's expected of them to do something about it, they don't, they don't really follow through. Mm-hmm. I really agree with you, Annalise, that I think a lot of feminism is performative. And mm-hmm. I think the ones who do go around bragging or wearing these mm. really extra clothes they're the ones who they it is very performative because it is also very much a limited understanding of feminism and it's as you said it is very much white feminism and it is mm. honestly quite challenging to i don't know be who i am and be surrounded by white feminists who are very preachy and think that they know better than everybody else mm. when it's not really the case. Kimi, I'm also wondering, I mean, I don't think this necessarily, I think this mostly applies to people who um, maybe didn't think of feminism as intricately as some academics do. But like, I wonder how much that trend of maybe before, you know, wearing a pol- wearing a feminist kind of themed clothing or whatever was a political statement. And back then, I would say even like when people would think negatively of feminism and like that being aligned with being like anti-man almost mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. now with like the political climate of like now, if you're not feminist, then you like before (laughs) yeah like essentially like you're a horrible person like how can you Mm -hmm. not stand up for women's rights whereas before it's like you stand up for women's rights like you're so you must hate men where it's now Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i think a little more nuanced in that like i don't know i wonder people feel like they have to obviously not from our standpoint but like some people if they almost say they have to be have to say that they're feminist just because they want to go against what the general i would say consensus is that women deserve rights um but maybe they they don't necessarily agree with feminism but they just don't want to go against this climate that we're in right now Mm -hmm. yeah i mean we've like talked about like the fourth wave of feminism right which i think like the way that historians have created these waves some people have deemed as like controversial because they're like shouldn't necessarily be waves, you know, it's just like women's rights should always mm-hmm. be talked about or all gender's rights should always be discussed. But I think like in a way, if Donald Trump was not elected as president, there would not be like, you know, such like this fourth wave wouldn't have come in a way just because I feel like mm-hmm. so many people were politically motivated after he did go into office mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. It just might not have been otherwise. I have two thoughts based of um, the the question that is posed to some people being, how are you not a feminist? Given everything that Mm -hmm. is happening, how can you not be a feminist? Mm -hmm. So I think one 
answer to that is that people are not educated or mm. have not been exposed to the type of material or nuances or understanding that I've had and I think you know all of us have had mm-hmm. um it's true and of course that ties back into a lot of the misconceptions that we mm-hmm. were talking about earlier the second thing is about people feeling afraid to go against consensus and going mm-hmm. against popular opinion um I know I felt that way a lot at the Claremont colleges is that I felt mm. afraid sometimes to share my opinion because it did disagree with others. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think even now, it is something that I do grapple with at times because I am, you know, I worry that like people will attack me or people will come for me or all of these different terms that are used because there is such a fine line between healthy disagreement and and respecting people's differing opinions compared with like just being ignorant right and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i think it's a really challenging line to draw mm. but yeah. yeah so ram you grew up in singapore and the uk and india as well and all those places have very differing levels i think of a patriarchal influence so how has your experience been growing up in all three of those places and how is it like going between maybe some places that are more progressive than others great question um <laughs> so yes i grew up in the uk singapore and india of the three india is definitely the most patriarchal so i think i can talk about india the most but definitely mm-hmm. in singapore as well i think there are influences of patriarchy still and especially you know with notions of expecting women to be submissive um mm-hmm. and women to be more polite etc but i mean singapore is such a unique place that it it is progressive in ways it's not progressive in ways it really depends uh on where you even are in singapore but india <laughs> so yeah i mean my experience in general is really different i think Okay, so for instance, in some communities when women are menstruating, they are sent to like an outhouse. They're not allowed to stay mm. oh. in the house. Yeah. Mm. Because mm. menstruation is considered impure and women mm. are considered to be dirty. And that is very common amongst Hindu families. Um I would like to make that clear. But the way that it is sometimes seen in urban areas or progressive families is for instance women don't enter the prayer area the mm. prayer room for instance when they are menstruating because menstruation is considered impure and it's also like deep rooted patriarchal values and patriarchal systems mm. that do need to be broken and they really do need to be deconstructed another instant or another example i can give you is of course like trigger warning sexual violence sexual violence cases are just through the roof and it's really really sad because 
I have become so desensitized that reading about it in the news, it doesn't shock me anymore. Um, mm. I don't know how familiar you guys are, but there are just like every single day I will see something about a baby, a two-year-old, four-year-old, six-year-old, multiple women. And it's just, it's nonstop. And of course, it's a, it's about power. Um, and it's very much about power. And it's very much something that needs to be talked about. But there is so much stigma attached to feminism and to having these conversations mm -hmm. that in my family, I have relatives who they're like, feminists are this, feminists are that, like, how are they going on the streets, et cetera, et cetera. And it is exhausting because changing the mentality mm -hmm. is really difficult. And of course, that's what needs to change, right? Like people need to be educated about caste oppression. They need to be educated about gender oppression. They need to be educated about female feticide, um, which is the abortion of, of female children. And that is just how like deeply rooted patriarchy is, that families will mm -hmm. prefer to have give birth to a son than a daughter. Mm -hmm. And that informs the sex ratio too. So I think there's like 900 girls born for every thousand uh, boys, which is really, really low. Mm. Wow, that's really interesting, Rom. Um, something that you said that kind of made me think. So personally, I have been very privileged in that I think even though my family is um, somewhat conservative, I never really experienced a lot of discrimination or being told I couldn't do something because I was a female, especially in comparison to like my male family members. And so in that sense, I never really sought to pursue educating myself about feminism just because I never really experienced it or like when I was younger. So I was wondering if you all kind of, if that was a motivating factor for you to educate like yourself on feminism based on your background and your family, how you were raised. I think so. My background, I think that this also matters is that my family is just me and my sister. Like I don't have any male siblings and mm -hmm. I feel like that that might in ways sometimes play into effect because mm -hmm. at least I know in like Chinese culture, the son is like really highly praised over the daughter. But because mm -hmm. my sister and I are both daughters, we don't really have that there within our family. But Ram, I know you have a brother. Or, yes. Yeah. So I'm curious um, on your standpoint. Yeah, definitely. I just want to make it clear that my parents have been really wonderful about not holding me back and, and giving me freedom mm -hmm. to do things. Um, but yes, I have an older brother and my brother is also the firstborn son in my extended mm -hmm. family. Oh. So growing up, especially oh. from my grandparents and great grandparents, um, there was a lot of attention on him. So I wouldn't say mm. that I faced discrimination in the sense that it was like, you're a girl, you can't do this. But it was kind of flipped and it was like, well, he's a boy and he's, mm. you know, he he's going, he is like our, our treasure or something. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so definitely I think that has pushed me internally to feel like I need to prove myself um, to my mm. extended family, especially in terms of my studies my work like my understanding mm. and education about feminism because I think it really mm. does permeate into the most personal of situations when it comes to families mm. and conversations within the family or um, practices within a family mm. 
So I'm wondering if you all have any experience where, you know, we've all graduated, we attended this women's college, historically women's college, you think you have the, you know, ability to stand up for yourself and practice feminism in your day-to-day life. And then you're like, oh, I actually, this is harder than I thought. Because personally, from my experience, um, I recently found out that my coworker, exact same position, exact same, we do the exact same thing, we just split it, is getting paid more than I am. And he's uh, male identifying. And um, I asked him about it and he found it, it's because he negotiated his salary way later. Like he asked for a raise essentially and Mm -hmm. I didn't do that and of course that's on me but I'm wondering if part of that is because of like my personality or as like a non-confrontational person or maybe like my gender somehow Um, like as a female I'm just internalizing that it's okay to like not be paid as much but I don't know if you all any of you have like experience with that hold on it is not okay to not be paid the same first of all (laughs) I mean, definitely it's not okay that you're not being paid the same amount. Um, It's interesting that you ask whether that's attached to your gender identity or if it's just like you as a person. And I agree with you to some extent that I have also had these thoughts about whether I'm doing things the way I am because of me as a person or because of the way Mm -hmm. I've internalized some behaviors that are traditionally expected of women Mm -hmm. so for instance salary negotiation is a huge thing and I do wonder at times if the thought doesn't cross my mind because I'm like it's fine like I'll just stick it out and if that thought process is determined by my experience as like having to stick it out as a woman anyway or if it's about me as a person But I think that, again, has to do with the echo chamber of attending a liberal arts college versus Mm -hmm. the real world. Mm -hmm. And so my experience or my example is, for instance, like, I don't feel safe attending a protest in Mm -hmm. India, for instance. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. those are instances where I'm like, I am not practicing what I preach, essentially. Mm -hmm. Or at times, like, I won't have the uncomfortable conversation with my family about certain things that they say or certain things that they do that are really problematic. And Mm -hmm. yeah, like, I reflect on it later. And I'm like, I should have done that. I should have, you know, spoken up, etc. But Mm -hmm. essentially, it feels much tougher after graduating and and not being surrounded by people who are Mm -hmm. going through similar things as me and also have similar opinions as me. I will say, so I would like to think that when it comes to salary negotiations that I would stand up for myself, but because I've never really. So when I got offered my position, I did try to negotiate, but they said that because I was entering through like a program, it was a set salary. And, you know, some of us talked about some of me and like the other people who started, we talked about it. And yeah, we were all getting the paid. We were all getting paid the same. But one thing that I think I do think about is being assigned like administrative tasks within my company Mm -hmm. so stuff like who wants to plan this event who wants to set up like a birthday card for people like I always end up Mm -hmm. volunteering to do it and I don't know if it's just because Mm -hmm. that's just who I am and I really enjoy like planning things or if it's because I'm like giving into this role that I was so primed into taking 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I like to think that it's because I enjoy these tasks because I do. I do like planning stuff. I do like mm-hmm. busy administrative role tasks. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's just because that's what I was told was expected of me or if it's because that's just my personality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Like, I was thinking, um, so we're recently training this new person to, and he's a male. And basically, I tell him when he does something wrong and he's always like brushes it off. He's like, it's not my fault. I never saw it. I never blah, blah, blah. Oh like, he think he just doesn't mm-hmm. like being told that he's being wrong. Mm-hmm. And part of me feels like like i'm standing up for myself and i'm saying like this is what you're doing wrong like you mm-hmm. shouldn't do this and i think that's great like i'm proud of myself for saying like for like teaching him what to do correctly mm-hmm. but then there's also a part of me that's like am i being too mean like i have to say like mm-hmm. i'm very conscious of how i tell him mm-hmm. he's doing things incorrectly because i feel like he won't like me or he'll think i'm like a cold person and i don't know that's another thing i've felt like I've internalized that I have to like always be this really friendly warm person Mm -hmm. um and I don't know if that's a part of like my personality as well because Mm -hmm. I enjoy being liked (laughs) by most people and thinking (laughs) I'm a nice person but like that's something I've really noticed how he doesn't he gets away with not being warm he's like Mm -hmm. nice but he doesn't have to be like overtly friendly like I feel like I have to prove myself to be yeah Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like in both of these situations, like having a male ally would help. Um, Mm. In my sophomore year, I was in a club and like worked closely with someone that did identify as male. Um, And something that he brought up straight away was like, oh, Kimmy, like you don't have to take notes. Like I could do it or like let's like pass that around. And I had never necessarily thought before as like Mm. taking notes to be something associated with a woman, but it typically Mm. is. So I thought that that was really cool of him to like, voice that and literally tell that in front of the whole team um to kind of set that precedent moving forward because it is hard like just doing that by yourself yeah Mm -hmm. this has all been really interesting thank you all for sharing your experiences even though we all did go to the same school it's kind of interesting to talk about this more in depth about how our experiences have been in feminism post-college and after college and now even in the workplace. Rom, thank you for coming on. To conclude the episode, do you have any final thoughts? Thank you for having me. Um, I feel honored to be a guest. I think the one thing I'll say is that, yes, political events or political climates and current events definitely shape how much is amplified, but I think think it's really important not only for the listeners but also all of us that we remember that this is a continuous process and Mm -hmm. to hear listen make an active effort to listen to those who do not have a voice or Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. have more barriers that hold them back from being heard and Mm -hmm. also just you know to feel more confident in having those uncomfortable conversations or Mm. conversations that seem scary, be it salary negotiation or Mm. telling your male coworker to help out or pitch in once in a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that this is a complete learning process. So even though we did attend a historically women's college, we're still learning new things all the time. Mm -hmm. So I think one thing that I've learned outside of school is that it's really important to like seize opportunities where you can learn things 
Mm-hmm. And I think that applies especially to a topic like feminism. So I would just encourage people to keep learning and growing and like not being fixed on set ideas that you might have right now. Thank you, Ram, again for joining us in today's episode. Thank you to our listeners for listening. We wouldn't have made it this far in the podcast without everyone's continuous support. So please, if you can, leave us a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us at Adulthood Pending Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn, or at Adult Pending Pod on Twitter. And you can also send us an email to hello.adulthoodpendingpodcast at gmail.com. Join us every other Monday for new episodes, and we can't wait to continue to share our stories. And we're excited you're with us on our adulthood journey. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>